If you're a patient in the UK, increasingly, your first interaction with the healthcare system won't be that traditional face-to-face chat with your doctor. Instead, you'll have a telephone consultation. That might then lead to that face-to-face chat. The prevalence of these telephone consultations is increasing and being actively promoted by CCGs and the private companies who administer them, usually as a cost-saving measure. Now, new research published on bmj.com looks at these phone consultations, how often they happen, how patients feel about them, and how much money they actually save. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ, and earlier I talked to one of the authors of that paper, Martin Rowland, Emeritus Professor of Health Services Research at Cambridge University. Martin, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. Now, this is um, something that a lot of patients in the UK will notice, the fact that they try and get an appointment and first of all, the GP has to call them back to actually talk through um, their problems. So can you just put this in context for us? How many practices in the UK, um, as a number and as a percentage, are actually doing this? Um, and how does the, the, the system actually work? Yeah, well, the, the background is that, uh, as many people know, it's, it's increasingly difficult to get an appointment to see your GP. And there are, are two broad approaches to that. One is we need more GPs, and, and people know that, that the government are trying to attract more GPs and train more. But the, the uh, other thing is that can GPs just work in a way that is more efficient and makes better use of the resource they've got? Now, this particular scheme looks at telephone consultations, and, and clearly many practices, of, probably most practices, have used phone consultations in some way or another for, for many years. But what this particular scheme does is to ask all patients who want a face-to-face appointment to speak to a GP before they can make that appointment. And then the GP with them will decide on the phone whether actually they need to come in or not. And that's a, uh, that's a pretty radical change to, to how most practices would work. So you basically can't phone up your practice and make an appointment to see the doctor. The doc will phone you back the same day and decide whether you need to come in or not. And it's been promoted by two commercial companies, uh, GP Access and Doctor First, um, who provide management support for practices wanting to make this change. And around about 150 practices in the country have made the change uh, to date. Um, so not a very large number, but it's a, a pretty, cool, pretty radical change to the way that they work. Mm. Why was it that you, you know, as you said, some of these um, practices have been going on for a while. So why was it that you wanted to do the evaluation now? Well, the, the reason is that um, the companies have made um, pretty major claims about what the new service can do that it will both reduce workload for GPs, improve patient and staff satisfaction, um, lead to lower usage of A&E departments, uh, claim to be up to 20% less A&E attendance, and big savings um, by preventing avoidable admissions um, and attendance at hospital. But these claims come from from the commercial companies themselves and from one in particular, um, and they've been reproduced in NHS England literature And as a consequence, a number of CCGs are commissioning these services from the companies for their local practices. And NIHR, the National Institute for Health Research, 
um, decided to commission a, an independent evaluation of this type of approach, in part because the data that, that uh, was being uh, described in terms of the benefits came principally from the commercial companies. Okay, so as you said, there's some claims being made here. Um, and in your analysis and your data collection, everything, you split them into sort of three areas, roughly. You looked at consultation patterns. You looked at patient um, acceptability, um, how much patients like this. Um, and then you looked at uh, costs, so increased secondary care admissions, things like that. Um, if we take those in, in three chunks, could you first of all talk us through um, how you looked at and, and what changed about the consultation patterns then in these practices? Yes. Well, the, the data we had on consultation patterns came from one of the commercial companies who was able to extract data from GP records. So it is a limitation that we were using data from practice records that weren't specifically co collected for research purposes. But what we found was was pretty consistent in that we found a very big increase in telephone consultations. So practices were, not surprisingly, doing many more phone consultations. And they were doing fewer face-to-face uh, -face consultations. So somewhere around a half of the patients who were uh, phoned didn't need to come in. But overall, um, there was an increased number of consultations if you added up the reduced face-to-face -face with the greatly increased phone consultations. And when we tried to look at what the overall workload for GPs was, um, we found that that was probably slightly increased by maybe around 8%. But almost more than the average figures was the striking variation between practices. So some practices really reduced the overall all demand from patients considerably so the doctors were seeing substantially fewer patients than they were before. But in others, the, the approach really seemed to sort of open the floodgates of demand um, and they could become overwhelmed at times with the number of people asking for phone appointments and then potentially um, follow up face-to-face -face appointments. So we certainly didn't find that this was in any sense a, a, a panacea for, for meeting demand. And I think, don't think the companies would have argued that it was, but certainly some practices um, found that this was a, a system that really improved the way of managing patients and others just found that it led them into a very difficult situation. Mm. I mean, you said there that um, the number of, of phone consultations went up by more than the number of face-to-face -face consultations dropped. Um, and there was a small increase in workload because of that. Um, is there a big difference in the way phone consultations actually work? You know, do, do they take less time? Are they more, um, I don't know, constrained in, in really just talking about one issue? I was just wondering how that sort of works out. Yeah, they are. They're, they're certainly shorter. And um, there, there is an issue about the, um, the skills needed to do phone consultations. And, and most practices had... Uh, they're permanent doctors, either so either salary doctors or partners, doing these these sort of uh, the phone telephone triage, if you like. Um, I think the the triage maybe isn't the right word because an awful lot of problems could be dealt with on the phone. There is there's always an issue with phone consultations about how safe they are, and um, you know whether you could miss things by not being able to um, examine the patient or, or maybe take a, a fuller history. And the, the concerns about that were pretty much allayed from the data we had. And in fact, 
both patients and doctors said, well, actually, it's it's safer to be able to speak to some, somebody on the phone straight away when they would like some support from the practice rather than maybe having to wait a week or even two weeks to actually get to see somebody. So we didn't feel that the approach was, was unsafe in any way, um, though doctors are always obviously careful about what they can do following a phone consultation, whether, for example, it's okay to prescribe, which it may sometimes be, or whether the patient needs to come in. Um, and you sort of touched on this there, but um, in your research paper, you've got a box with um, patient comments collected in it. Um, and it seems like generally patients quite like the system. Um, and given that a lot of complaints uh, that, that patients have about GPs is access, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So can you take us through that sort of how you collected and, and what the overall picture for patients was? Yeah, well, we were obviously very interested in what patients thought, and we had two, two main ways we looked at this. First of all, we looked at the National GP Patient Survey and compared these 150 practices using this new system with control practices in other parts of the country. And then we also did our own survey of people who'd actually been through the system in one of these practices. And if you look at the um, comparison with other practices in the country, there was a striking difference in the time it took for people to be seen. So, in a sense, the system clearly worked in the, that waiting times to see the doctor reduced pretty dramatically in these practices. If we looked at other aspects of the GP patient survey, there was much, much less difference, and patient reports were slightly more negative, but not by a, a large amount. In, for example, would they re, uh, recommend the practice to somebody that they knew? But when we looked at, at our own surveys and also the um, qualitative interviews that we did with patients that are not reported in this particular PMJ paper, what we found uh, was a really wide range of views from some people who absolutely loved the system and thought it was tremendous to others who absolutely hated it. Um, and so, again, the sort of average figures mask this big variation in, in what patients thought. So, for example, we, we thought when we started out that maybe older people would find this difficult um, in terms of having to talk to a doctor on the phone, but actually um, uh, a lot of older people thought it was worked pretty well for them. It, it avoided the need to go to surgery, and, and they were quite happy to wait in and um, wait for the doctor to call them back. But for other, other groups, um, for example, some people at work, like teachers, for example, would find it quite difficult to receive a call back from the GP at work, particularly if they didn't know when that call was coming. And they didn't like the system at all. So there was a really wide range. And I think what that probably emphasizes is that this sort of approach, particularly if it's very rigid, is going to suit some patients but not others. Okay, interesting. And um, I mean, the final bit that, that you looked at was sort of um, costs and, and particularly things like um, did this increase or decrease uh, referrals to, to secondary care? So um, how did you look at that, and, and was this actually a cost-saving um, approach for practices? We looked at, um, we looked at data from, which is routinely collected on, on hospital utilisation from what's called hospital episode statistics that's collected by the NHS from all, all NHS hospitals in England, and we looked to see whether there were any changes in... Um, and patterns of referral or any attendance, again, compared to control practices in other parts of England. And the basic answer was there was no difference at all. There were some very marginal effects. There was a marginal increase in secondary care costs, 
and certainly no evidence to support the claims that there would be big reductions in secondary care costs by introducing this new approach. Um, and sort of related to that, uh, were you able to look at health outcomes at all? Was there any difference in, in patients' health? No, we don't. That, that um, wasn't part of what we were able to look at. Okay. Now, for years, the Royal College of General Practitioners has been warning about GP burnout um, because of increased workload. Uh, and it seems uh, that, according to your data, this led to, to a small increase in GP workload. So I was wondering, do you know have any idea about how GPs actually find this, this switch to the telephone consultation? Yes, we yes we do because as well as um, interviewing patients, um, again not reported in this first BMJ paper, we also interviewed staff. We interviewed GPs and we interviewed um, uh, practice managers and receptionists. And um, receptionists pretty much liked the system um, in that it it meant that they were able to respond to people's uh, needs and uh, when they called up and weren't forever fobbing them off and saying no you can't be seen or ring back tomorrow. So. Perceptionists, this seemed pretty good. Um, for GPs, rather like patients, we found a wide range of views. So some GPs absolutely loved it. They loved the structure that it gave to their day, um, and others hated it. And we certainly also came across examples where GPs had left practices because they really did not like the way the new system worked. So as with patients, a, a big range of how GPs felt about it. Um. And you're da collecting data here from around the country, so urban settings where it's perhaps easy for patients to come in, um, rural ones where, you know, maybe this, this would have been more time-saving. So I wondered, um, did the sort of context of, of the practice um, make a difference to GP patient acceptability to anything else? Um, yes, it did. Um, the... Rurality didn't seem to make a big difference, but, we, but in fact, most of the practices were, were urban ones, so we may not have been in the best position to look at that. We, had a, 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 we looked quite carefully at, at how the types of population that uh, um, practice were serving might have made a difference. Say, for example, if they had a, um, a lot of patients for whom English was not their first language. Um, and what we found was that... Um, Practices often made tweaks, if you like, to the system, or they made allowances for particular patients who they knew were going to need an interpreter or wouldn't manage very easily on the phone. And indeed, um, some practices had um, were not using the system in, uh, if you like, a pure form of just of not allowing any advanced booking, but uh, allowing a limited degree of advanced booking for some patients. And that, while it might seem an obvious thing to do, um, uh, also potentially could lead to the practice not being able to deal with the demand for phone calls. So one of the things which I think came out was, first of all, that this system, or probably any system, isn't going to be a magic wand if you're fundamentally, the, the resources that you've got are not sufficient to deal with the, the needs of patients. So if those two are wildly out of kilter, um, there is there isn't any way in which somehow making uh, more efficient use of the services is going to transform things. It may improve things, but there does need to be a some sort of fundamental match between um, demand and the supply of, of primary care services. I think that we found that practices that were um, 
really well organized with particularly where there was an identified member of staff and the, the doctors and staff were all on board for this approach um, were much more likely to make it work than if, for example, there were uh, disagreements between the staff or, or a lack of, of clear leadership as, as to how to in, introduce the approach. Um, it's clearly important to tell patients about the, the new service so that they'd understand how to use it. Um, and I think the ability to, to keep looking at how it's working and, and make small modifications, I mean, is a really big change for practices. Um, and I think it's quite remains quite difficult to meet the needs of, of all patients in the practice, which in principle is clearly what GPs would, would want to do. But I think if you take an overall view, what this certainly confirms is that there's a large place for doing um, part of general practice work on the phone, and probably more than we do at the moment, and there are a lot of problems that potentially could be dealt with on the phone. But a very rigid system, um, which which doesn't allow any pre-booking, um, is going to have, leave some patients and doctors feeling unhappy. Yeah, so sort of on that, I mean, it's it's this telephone system is is one way in which um, general practice is is trying to sort of change and and meet those changing needs of patients, um, and you know your evaluation has a, a sort of quite a mixed picture there, so. You know, it might work, but it's not going to save money. Um, where do you think this fits into the suite of, of other things that are going on in general practice to, to try and meet demand from patients? Well, I think, it, I think it's, it's one of the things that, um, that GPs are, are going to, to try to help. So we, we know that we need more staff in general practice. That's both GPs, but also other staff. Um, we need more practice nurses. Um, potentially in some practices, physician associates and support from pharmacists. So those things will will all help to a degree. Um, uh, GPs are certainly looking at other ways of, of dealing with uh, demand other than face-to-face -face consultations. So phone clearly has a place, and, and I think what our study shows is that, is that GPs could be doing more on the phone, but maybe not in a terribly rigid sort of way. Um, there's a lot of interest in, in e-consultations or, or practices using their websites. Um, quite extravagant claims are made sometimes for how much work can be dealt with by a, a, an email consultation. Um, and I think what that lacks at the moment is evaluations which take a, 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 a view of the whole system to see whether actually the, there is, a, as well as some things being able to be dealt with by email, there's actually an overall increase in demand because one's experience of the NHS is that it's very easy to put in new services that are popular with patients and, and seem to provide benefits but, but don't actually reduce overall demand and might actually even generate demand. I mean, I was going to say on that, um, you know, we've we've seen various evaluations of telehealth and, and there's a big sort of... Um, variation in, in how effective they were and how cost effective they were but it seems often that money isn't the the main thing that perhaps we should be looking at with these and actually it is things like patient satisfaction would be a, a would be a better guide to to what new services work and don't yeah well you're absolutely right there and a really good example would be the, the nhs's um, aim to reduce emergency admissions over the last few years by 
um, asking practices to identify the most at-risk patients, patients who are most likely to be admitted to hospital, and then introducing some form of um, intensive case management. Um, so the most recent iteration of that is the um, e-frailty index, which GPs are being asked to use on their computers. And if you look at evaluations of these, those sorts of things, they often show that care has been improved um, by, you know, providing better coordinated or joined up care, but actually they, they rarely save money and sometimes they might even increase costs by identifying things that patients need. But if you look at it in another way, the, the, um, what patients basically want and need is to be able to contact a doctor who they know and trust and talk to or go and see if they need. And that has been exactly the same from when I started in practice over 35 years ago to now. Um, and patients may want to be able to access in different ways. <clears throat> um, my daughter said to me a while ago, why would you ever want to go and see a doctor if you could email him and sort the problem out? But there is nevertheless, um, even by email, that fundamental need to have a one-to-one -one relationship with somebody who you trust. Um, and so we mustn't lose sight of that need, um, which is a basic thing that patients want. And um, people in many other countries would, would look quite surprised at us to think that we might wish to change that. And I don't believe that we should. That's a nice point to, to sort of wrap this up on. Um, Martin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. You've been listening to Martin Rowland talk about telephone consultations and the research paper we discussed, Evaluation of Telephone First Approach to Demand Management in English General Practice and Observational Study, is now published on bmj.com. As always, we'll be back soon with more. If you've not done so yet, subscribe to us. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're in most places now. There you can also rate and review us. It's really useful to let us know what you think. And it helps others to find us too. You can also find much of our back catalogue there, all available for free. And for years of content, we've been running this podcast for almost a decade, so there is a lot. Have a look at bmj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.